Why are Democrats so threatened by Howard Schultz? Well, I'll explain that in a moment. You know, I think a lot of people didn't realize President Trump, when he tweeted the other day, saying, Howard Schultz, he doesn't have the guts to run against me. President Trump, as we pointed out, he was egging Howard Schultz on. He's trying to entice him into running. Now, I actually heard conservative pundits say, what is Trump doing? What's he thinking? Why is he trying to dissuade Schultz from running? Doesn't he know this is the best thing that could happen in his campaign? And, you know, as usual, President Trump being underestimated even by some conservatives, they never realize how strategic he is. They think he just shoots his mouth off and they don't give him any credit for actually knowing what he's doing. You know, that Trump, he just says these outrageous things again and again, and he just kind of is so lucky that he just keeps winning and keeps being successful despite himself. That's how some people actually look at it at this point. He's actually an extremely strategic, calculated person. Now, I know he may not sit there with a spreadsheet. He may not sit there with pen and paper you know, the way other politicians do, which is a good thing, by the way. But he has this instinct for strategy, and he knows how to win. But what's amazing is Howard Schultz has the liberals tied up in Nazi. They don't know what to do. They hate Howard Schultz. You know why? Because he believes in liberalism, yet he still thinks the party is being taken over by a bunch of radical leftist whack jobs. See, Howard Schultz is one of them. He believes in their cause, but he still sees how radical and how ludicrous a lot of the Democrat mainstream policies have become, quote-unquote mainstream. You know, Starbucks was always known as a very progressive company. Howard Schultz tried to hire refugees to undermine President Trump. They've always been extremely supportive of the environment. They've gave lots of benefits to workers, health care benefits, free tuition. You know, they're not like Walmart. Walmart's the big, evil, conservative company. But Starbucks is a very liberal company. And by the way, Howard Schultz can't stand President Trump, so he's one of them. Yet he says 70% taxes that Ocasio-Cortez is proposing, Medicare for all, he says these policies are completely outrageous. He says that they will wreck the country. And he's a businessman. He understands these things a lot better than Ocasio-Cortez. So you see, they can write off conservatives, you know, like Trump and others. They could say, listen, you know, the conservatives, they don't care about the little guy. They're just this club of these old, rich, white guys, and all they want to do is protect the rich. Those conservatives, they don't care one bit about elderly people, low-income people, minorities. Howard Schultz is one of them. He cares about the little guy. He's been fighting for the little guy all of his life. He's a self-made billionaire, which is another thing that the Democrats can't stand. He grew up in the projects in Brooklyn. And he created this billion-dollar company. You know, so Howard Schultz got into a fight with Elizabeth Warren because she has this plan to tax the super wealthy. And he said, it's ridiculous. That was the exact word that he used. So, so Elizabeth Warren responded, what's ridiculous is billionaires who think they can buy the presidency to keep the system rigged for themselves while opportunity slips away for everyone else. So now that's the new accusation against Howard Schultz. He's buying the presidency. What, what did he do wrong? He actually made a lot of money. When did it become a crime to make a lot of money and then run for president and actually try to help other people be, be as successful as you were? You know, I mean, Elizabeth Warren, these other people, they spend their whole life as a politician. I know Elizabeth Warren, she also worked as a professor at Harvard because, hey, you know, she's uh, like one one thousandth Native American, maybe not that we saw any proof. And, uh, you know, but they, these politicians live off taxpayers their whole life. They never have a real job. They never actually generate 
any money, never work in the private sector, but they could run for president. But when you work hard and actually earn a billion dollars, go from being penniless to being a billionaire, and you're, you're literally living the American dream, and then you want to help the rest of the country, that somehow is a crime. Democrats, they hate anybody who's successful. All right, right now, there is a bipartisan movement to end shutdowns permanently, to make it impossible to have a government shutdown. They want to make automatic continuing resolutions kick in. So essentially, if they can't agree on a new budget, then they would just stick with the status quo with the old budget. This is a terrible idea. If they ever do this, they'll never again be a balanced budget. Not that they balanced the budget in years anyway, but they'll never again be spending cuts because what will happen is they'll just always keep with the same uh, status quo and, 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 and the government uh, expenses, the government budget will just keep going. It, 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 you'll, you'll never have negotiations anymore. And by the way, it doesn't stay status quo. There's always what they call baseline spending, which means it goes up a certain percentage every single year. But the point is, what's the, the, the benefit of the government shutdown, I know Democrats don't like it, but the, the this is why. Because they don't like actually cutting spending. They don't like actually debating and negotiating where the money's going to go. They just want to spend into oblivion. But what happens is because there's a shutdown looming, I'm not talking about this whole border wall situation, but every time there's a shutdown looming, Congress will get together and they'll negotiate, Republicans, Democrats, because they know that if they don't come onto an agreement, then there actually will be a shutdown. So that threat looming is very important and very often, at least used to be this way, back when Republicans were still a little bit fiscally conservative, uh, very often there would be spending cuts or spending freezes. Now, uh, with this, if they put this into place where there's automatic continuing resolutions, all it's going to do is go up and up and up. All right, this polar vortex, these deep, this deep freeze in the mid in the Midwest and, and a lot of other parts of the United States. You know, it, it's absolutely record temperatures. I mean, what 40, 50 below degrees in some places, seventy five below with wind chill in Minnesota. Now, there are scientists out there trying to say that this was caused by global warming. Actually, caused. They're not satisfied saying, listen, this is an anomaly. You know, they actually needed to be caused by global warming because otherwise uh, that th th this pokes a big hole in their theory about climate change and about global warming. Now, listen, I understand there's a difference between climate and weather. And the difference essentially is climate is, you know, the entire looking at the everything all at once. If you look at the entire, at least according to those people who believe in global warming, they say if you look at the overall climate throughout the throughout the world, throughout the planet, it's getting warmer, whereas weather, you'll have individual weather patterns that might be very cold, but they say that doesn't change the overall climate. So weather is more localized and like a one-time thing versus climate, which is the more general you know, look at the planet over the course of a bunch of years. So some people say this polar vortex doesn't mean that there's no such thing as global warming. However, Clearly, a lot of scientists out there th feel threatened by it. So the theory is that somehow the cold air from Antarctica, because of global warming, so you have the cold air in the, in the North Pole and the South Pole getting warmer, right? Because that's global warming. So it has to push the cold air somewhere. I'm not sure why. If it just warms up, you would think the air just gets warmer. But no, it pushed the cold air to Chicago and Minnesota. That's the theory. They have no basis for this theory. But uh, a lot of scientists are latching on to this thing.
And, you know, look, I'm very skeptical. I'm certainly skeptical about man-made global warming. You know, if there's a scientist out there who tries to question global warming or even man-made global warming, they get blacklisted. I mean, they literally, they'll have them thrown off of uh, advisory panels. They will ruin these scientists' lives because, you know, that you have to believe in global warming. It's politically incorrect not to. Here's my question. How would politicians like Ocasio-Cortez and these pro-environment liberal socialists, how would they feel if the world did start cooling again? You know, if there was actually evidence that the world was getting back to where they wanted to be with the glaciers and everything, would, would they be happy or would they be upset? You know, and this is always the, the problem. When, when, you, when you run on a, a crisis platform and everything's a crisis, you know, we have to help minorities, we have to help low-income people, we have to help the environment, right? So what would happen if you solve those problems? If everybody got got rich, everyone in the, in the United States was rich. I understand inflation, whatever. But just in theory, you know, how would these liberals feel if, they, if there were no more crises? You know, conservatives, I'd have no problem. I want prosperity and I want, I, I want the national security. I want the country to be safe. And if all that stuff happened, then I'd be very happy. I wouldn't be threatened by that. You know, but uh, conservatives don't need a crisis. You know, all conservatives want is small government. But Democrats and liberals and socialists, it's all about having big government. And the reason you can justify big government is because there are all sorts of problems out there that they need to solve, like poverty, you know, like the environment. So uh, like inequality and racism. If all these problems went away, you know, I actually think that they'd be depressed. All right. Follow us on Twitter at The Politics Zone, at The Politics Zone for all the latest politics updates throughout the day. There's a new report that at the G20 summit last year in Argentina, President Trump and Vladimir Putin had a conversation. Whoa, hang on a second. You better sit down for this. They had a conversation without an American translator. There was Putin, Trump, Melania was there. And there was a Russian translator, but no U.S. translator. And we know that uh, President Trump was investigated for being a Russian agent, for being a spy. So uh, this reinforces that narrative. You know, it's not illegal to speak to a world leader. If you're the president, to speak to a world leader in private for a few minutes without your translator being there is not illegal. It's not a crime. It's not collusion. And even if they had the Russian translator, well, what if he translated something wrong? What if he tried to, you know, why did they not have anybody else there? Obviously, Trump is a Russian agent working for Vladimir Putin. I mean, give me a break. This is what they've got. I mean, Mueller's been at it for almost two years. And this is what they got. Trump and Putin in a room without an American translator. And let me just say this to Vladimir Putin. Comrade Putin, can you please meddle again in the election here in upcoming 2020, please, you know, we may need you. If Trump doesn't get his wall, we may need Russian meddling. And I look, I'm being facetious. Obviously, it's not a good thing for the Russians to undermine uh, the United States election system, the United States democracy. Not a good thing. I get that. But I, I would, though, add, let's say I told you that President Trump was destined to lose and the only way he could win in 2020 was with Putin meddling. Otherwise, we'd have Elizabeth War Warren or Kamala Harris. You know, maybe I'll make Ocasio-Cortez their running mate. I don't know. She's not old enough, probably, uh, constitutionally. You know, what if I said, but, you know, but if Putin meddles, then we get Trump for another four years. It would not be a simple decision. Steny Hoyer, the number two Democrat in the House, Steny Hoyer, says he refuses to take up 
the uh, Senate bill, the Israeli security bill that the Senate um, is voting on. Republicans in the Senate have been very supportive of this bill. And in addition to giving Israel security funding for the next 10 years, this bill will also allow states to not do business with companies who boycott Israel. Israel will also come down hard on companies that are involved in international boycotts of Israel. So this bill is a very big deal with the whole BDS movement going on. It's very This bill is very important to stop American companies and companies that do business with America from boycotting Israel. Yet Steny Hoyer says this could infringe on people's freedom of speech, on these companies' freedom of speech. And he's actually, he's sending the bill to committee, but he says he's not ready to vote on it. He does not support, he supports parts of this bill. And Steny Hoyer has been known to be very pro-Israel. I'll give him credit for that. But he does not support this bill in its entirety because he doesn't like the part where states can boycott companies uh, if they support the BDS movement. Now, perhaps by coincidence, Steny Hoyer came out in support of two Congress people who have been under fire for their anti-Israel views, Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar, very have made very, very radical statements, as we've reported to you, and uh, they clearly are pro-Palestinian, pro-BDS, and they seem to be uh, anti-Semitic. And Steny Hoyer says he has no reason to think that they're anti-Semites. Now, they've made vicious anti-Israel comments. We told you about Ilan Omar calling Israel an apartheid state, and we told you all the other stuff that she said that she claims to have apologized for, but she doesn't seem to have any regrets, and her apologies were very weak. They're pro-BDS. They've been pictured, one of them has been pictured with a member of Hezbollah, with a known terrorist, and in an interview just this week, Ilan Omar essentially said that Israel does not have the right to exist as a Jewish state. But she has nothing against the Jews, but Israel has no right to exist as the Jewish state. She compared Israel to Iran. Israel, the only democracy in the Middle East who literally allows its own enemies and allows Muslims to live side by side with Israelis, she compared it to Iran. And Steny Hoyer has supported these two Congress people. All right, Lindsey Graham has asked the FBI uh, for a briefing about the Roger Stone arrest. You had, what, 12 or even more FBI agents. They showed up in full riot gear, a pre-dawn military-style raid. They were holding rifles to arrest Roger Stone. Roger Stone does not have a criminal record. He has never had a prior arrest. These were white-collar crimes. This was lying to Congress, not exactly a violent crime. They treated him like an MS-13 gang member, and it's outrageous. Lindsey Graham says he wants to know why. In addition, CNN was the only network. They somehow got exclusive footage. They were there somehow. No other news organization was aware of this raid, but somehow CNN figured it out and they were there. CNN claims it was just a hunch. They just had good reporters' instincts, but some have speculated that maybe the FBI tipped, uh, tipped off CNN. Lindsey Graham wants to look into it. All right, two pieces of legislation that the House Democrats have taken up. One of them passed, in fact, the House passed a bill giving a 2.6% pay raise to federal workers. They passed a bill uh, raising the salaries of federal workers by 2.6%. Now, this is in response. Remember, President Trump issued an executive order during the shutdown freezing federal workers' pay, but it wasn't related to the shutdown. He was going to do it anyway. So the Democrats in the House, this was a pretty much a party-line vote, but it did pass. The Democrats passed this bill. 
uh, giving a raise to federal workers. But now, of course, the question is, will the Senate uh, pass it and will it uh, go to President Trump? And if he um, well, obviously, it'll go to President Trump if the Senate passes it. But the question is, will Trump sign it or will he veto it because he wants to freeze the federal workers pay? We are pretty much in a trillion dollar deficit here. As I said, the, the, the Treasury is about to borrow a trillion dollars for the second year in a row. A lot of that is from bonds, by the way. They issue these bonds and then people buy these bonds. And then, of course, the United States government owes that money plus lots of interest and the interest rates are rising. They also, uh, the Democrats are introducing a bill to expand benefits of Social Security. They want to give people more Social Security benefits, more money. Uh, because, again, we have this incredible surplus. We're $1 trillion deficit riding every single year, almost. And uh, all this extra money that the government has, they want to give to Social Security. And they're going to raise Social Security uh, costs. They're going to raise how much people have to pay, essentially ra raising the payroll tax. But that's only going to start in 2043. So nobody's going to notice it. Now, I know that seems like a long time in the future. It is. But think about all the things that Congress passed 25, 30 years ago that only took effect after a bunch of years and that are affecting us right now. So sooner or later, it does you know, come back to bite us. Now, President Trump blasted his two intelligence chiefs, Dan Coats and Gina Haspel. They came out with a report saying that Iran, their nuclear ambitions are not as bad as anybody thinks. They kind of downplayed Iran's nuclear activities. They say that Iran has not been um, pursuing nuclear weapons and has not been actively developing a nuclear weapon. And President Trump very strongly criticized them. And he said that they're being naive and they don't really understand how Iran works. And it's interesting because some are wondering, well, you know, where did Trump get his information if not from his intelligence people? And I personally wonder, I have a feeling that he gets it from the Mossad. I have a feeling that Netanyahu uh, gives Trump briefings based on Mossad intelligence. And we know how deeply, well, nobody knows how deeply Mossad has infiltrated Iran, but we certainly know uh, at least that they've gone way, way, way deep into Iran's uh, nuclear facilities and their nuclear research centers. They've gotten those incredible files and pictures and CDs and just, just an unbelievable wealth, treasure trove of information about Iran, which is just astonishing that uh, the Mossad was able to pull that off. So I wonder if Trump knows things that his own intel people don't know. We'll try to keep an eye on that. Michael Bloomberg says Medicare for all will bankrupt the country. So between him and Howard Schultz, you know, here you have two liberal Democrats, but they work for a living. They built wealth. They're self-made in the private sector. They came pretty much from nothing. And they understand that socialism destroys societies and that this will bankrupt the country. And again, this is a very big threat exposing the Democrats for what they really are at this point. All right, Stacey Abrams, the Democrat who lost the gubernatorial race in Georgia, it's been announced that she is going to respond to the State of the Union. The State of the Union is scheduled for, I believe, February 5th. And it had been postponed, of course, because of the shutdown. And there was, there's always a Democrat response that nobody watches and or whatever, opposing party response. And Stacey Abrams, uh, she lost. Now, this is a, a statement being made by Schumer and Pelosi. We support this election was unfair. The election was rigged. The Republicans meddled in the election. And uh, it, it really, Stacey Abrams actually should have been the winner. And here they are 
questioning the legitimacy of the election process. And the hypocrisy of this is, you remember, they asked President Trump in a debate against Hillary. They said, would he accept the outcome of the election unconditionally, even if he lost? And he said, you know, I'll need to see the details. He was very honest. He said, no, I'm not going to tell you right now. He said, what if there are shenanigans? What if there's foul play? I, how can you expect me to say before the election happens, whether or not I'll support the outcome. If if I see that it was legitimate, I'll support it. But what if it's not legitimate? And he was lambasted. He was vilified by the media. He's undermining democracy. The media really ripped him to shreds. You know, he's an American. How can he do this? How can he question the veracity of the election? And yet the Democrats in 2020, I'm sorry, 2018, this past November, they were such sore losers with a lot of these uh a lot of these elections, and this just takes the cake, the fact that Stacey Abrams is going to be delivering the State of the Union. And finally, a caller uh, left me a voicemail saying that uh, you know I was uh, uh, bashing Elizabeth Warren and other Democrats who they see rich people spend money and, and they look at it as a source to redistribute the wealth. And this caller said to me, listen, isn't that what Stucca is all about? And he mentioned... Uh, you know, certain Divrei Chazal and certain Mefarshim who talk about how the wealth have been given, given money, bestowed upon them, their wealth by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, be specifically to, to pass along to poor people and how it's not technically even, they, they, although it's technically their money, but it's not really their money because HaKadosh Baruch Hu expects them to pass it along and kind of gives it to them as overseers to then go and distribute it to people who need it. Isn't that what Elizabeth Warren is doing? Great question, and you know, 100% true. Your point uh, about uh, you know the hashkafa of it, as far as I'm aware, and I don't want to get too into hashkafa here, but there's clearly a difference, in my opinion, between that and Elizabeth Warren and the Democrats. It's not the role of the U.S. government to decide. Yes, a person has a moral obligation to be compassionate, to give tzedakah, to pass their wealth along to people who need it. But for the government to go and take it out of my pocket, you know, the government. They're not Besden. You know, the government is not in charge on that level. So that's what's expected of a person to do on their own. Or, of course, if Besden was in charge, I mean, if this was a situation where the Sanhedrin Agadola was in charge, you know, that would be a whole different story. But for politicians to arbitrarily, randomly decide they want people, you know, to give away their money, I'm sorry, but that's completely out of line. You know, in addition to that, I'm not convinced that it's a good thing. You know, when they re when they redistribute the wealth, they're not necessarily giving it to the people who need it the most. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who are able-bodied people. They're able to work for a living, you know, and uh, and yet they're given these free hand these free government handouts, you know, and 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 that could very often encourage alcoholism, drug abuse, gang violence because you're basically telling these people that they're better off if they don't work for a living and get handouts by the government than if they do work for a living. And many of them, as I said, are able-bodied. You know, President Trump has been trying to implement work requirements for Medicaid and a lot of these other government programs, food stamps, and he's having a very tough time. The courts are shutting him down. So I'm not convinced that the Democrat, you know, socialist viewpoint of taking money from wealthy people and giving it, you know, spreading it out and government handouts, that that even benefits anybody. I'm sure it benefits some people. I don't mean to say that, you know, there's plenty of people who are not able to work. There's no question that they need that kind of compassion. But, uh, you know, it, it gets way too out of hand. The government completely abuses it. And it's really all just a power grab by the Democrats because they want to control the money. All right, that's going to do it for today on this exciting one, and we will see you next time.